You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Purple Daily and part of the Purple Daily family platform, of course, is Purple Access. And Purple Access means Judd, Declan, and my guy, Tyler Fornis, VikingsWire.com for the most comprehensive Vikings coverage, one-stop shopping that you can find updated constantly. You know what? It's the dead of summer. Training camps don't start for, what, two weeks or so? That doesn't mean that Vikings Wire doesn't have plenty of fresh content right now, including my most recent column, Assessing Quasi Adolfo Mensa's first year as GM, yet to come, Declan. More exciting than that, Assessing Kevin O'Connell's first year. So nice. check out check out uh, Tyler's work as well. He does fabulous work, vikingswire.com. Gentlemen, we are here today to go through, because it's that time of year where it's pretty, pretty dead out there. Um, and will be basically for another week and a half or so. We are going to build Mount Rushmore's, Viking Mount Rushmore's. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through the first one, which is the Vikings Mount Rushmore from 1961 through 1985. And the significance of that, of course, um, is the time that Bud Grant coached the team. He coached the team from 67 to 83. Les Steckel stepped in for a disastrous 3 and 13, 84. Bud came back and uh, saved the day in 85 and then left. Jerry Burns took over in 86. And then the second Mount Rushmore for the Vikings we're going to go through is going to be 86 to present. But what we're going to do is we're going to start off. Each of us have come up with a Mount Rushmore for each era of Viking football. And Tyler, we'll, we'll start with you and we'll go through your Mount Rushmore of the first phase of Vikings football again 61 essentially through 85 Forno floor is yours so this was a difficult one because you have multiple hall of famers and multiple guys who should be in the hall of fame during that time period and we're not including coaches here which I I think is important to note otherwise I don't think there's any any doubt that Bud Grant would be on this list but because it's a players only I I I kept it relatively simple Um, Carl Eller Alan Page Paul Krause, Fran Tarkenton. It was really difficult for me to leave Jim Marshall off this list because of his impact on the defense. And to be honest, it's an abomination. He's not in the hall of fame and we can get into that. Hopefully the seniors committee will finally put him in this year. Yes. 270 straight starts as a defensive end, 130.5 estimated sacks by pro football reference. Cause remember it wasn't actually a stat until the late seventies, early eighties. It's he was so incredibly good, but most people only remember him for that disastrous safety uh, against the 49ers, which is really unfortunate because he was such a tremendous football player. But Eller and Page were the two best players on that defense. And they were dominant inside and out. And the way they were able to just control the game was something else. Paul Krause, his interception record will never be broken. And then you have Fran Tarkenton, who even though he had like a four, it was either a four or five year gap where he was with the New York Giants, still had the Vikings to three Super Bowls. 
held nearly every single passing record by the end of his career and was a fantastic, fantastic football player. And honestly, the biggest key to that Vikings offense during the Bud Grant, early Bud Grant years. So if, if uh, Jim was the first guy off your list, who were a couple more who you at least considered before, you know, settling on Tarkington page, Krause and Carl Eller. I thought about Matt Blair, um, tremendous linebacker. Uh, I also considered uh, Gary Larson just because yeah, he's a, kind of a forgotten guy that purple people he he's a tremendous player of his own right. You also have Mick Tinglehoff, Ron Yeri. There's a lot of really good Minnesota Vikings that you could have put on here and guys that are in the Hall of Fame that you don't necessarily think of right away as like uh, all time Vikings greats. Um, you could also uh, make a really good argument for Chuck Foreman. Um, That's the one I was thinking of, too a really short career in comparison to all of these other guys. But when he was on the field, he was phenomenal. And look at what he did in that day and age too. Like he was a Mm -hmm. modern West coast guy before that was named. Cause the, the the weird thing is, so Bill Walsh gets almost complete credit, right? For Mm -hmm. the concept West coast offense. The reality is Jerry Burns ran concepts of that ages before. And if you go back and watch how Foreman was used at his peak by Bernsey, I mean, he was doing things that at the time were like, whoa, and now are common. So, yes, I I agree. Chuck Foreman was one that I definitely gave thought to for my list. Declan, what's yours? Pretty similar to Tyler's, which is, I believe, one one change there. So I have Carl Eller, Alan Page, Jim Marshall, Fran. Um, I think those four are your Mount Rushmore by, by... by a wide margin. And there are some great players to Tyler's point. Um, and it's funny, the contrast of obviously the three defensive guys with the quarterback versus what we're going to probably do in 85 to present uh, with both is probably going to be the absolute flip flop of offense, jumping the shark a little bit. Well, mm-hmm. I think when you think of those three guys, four guys, to be honest, those are the faces of the purple people eater defenses. Um, it's unfortunate that sometimes with history, especially younger generations, we kind of forget about them. Uh, but they were the face of the purple people leaders. They were the face of the Minnesota Vikings. Um, there's an entire generation, just how, like how we view the Randy Moss and Adrian Petersons that look at them in the same way. And they also went to four Super Bowls. So um, I think it's important to remember those history, remember history, remember those guys who, uh, who are deserving of those spots. So I have Carl Eller, Alan Page, Jim Marshall, Fran Tarkington. Tyler, your thoughts? I've got no, no issues. I, I really considered Jim Marshall too, but, at the end of the day, Paul Krause leads the history of the NFL in interceptions. And I really yeah. just don't think that even with an interception, happy NFL, and we've seen how the rule changes have not really slanted towards offense to make those a lot less common. Yep. It's, it's something I can't ignore. And I think uh, Eller and page are slightly above Marshall. So I, I had to leave him off for that reason, but I totally understand and respect the inclusion. So to, to, to the point of this, Exercise two, Tarkington, absolute slam dunk. Probably considered the greatest player in in franchise history to this day. Page is right behind him, right? Or he might be. I mean, there's an argument that Page is actually uh, potentially the greatest player in franchise history. But, like, they are slam dunks. They are absolute slam dunks. The more you look at um, Carl's career, same thing. I, I think he is a most definite from this time period, third guy. Like that's, but to what you and Dex are saying, where I agree is like 
when you look at what Kraus did, he deserves it. But that's the one where you're like a little bit torn. Like it's Marshall, it's Foreman, it's Yeri, you know, Tinglehoff. I mean, the amount of consecutive games that guy played as well, playing a position where you absolutely get your ass kicked at center is incredible. So like the fourth one is a little bit tough. I think the first three are pretty locked in. And and when, when we talked about doing this, you guys, you know, Tarkington and Page were like automatics. Like there's no question about it. Eller, at first, I'm like, do I want him? And then I looked, I'm like, absolutely. Like, like just because the league was so stupid, they didn't keep sacks as an mm-hmm. official stat. Don't get me started on that. One of the dumbest things of all time. Um, shouldn't penalize him. But then, yeah, that fourth one is tough just because there's so many viable, good players and talented guys. And I guess I'm with you, Forno. The Kraus thing is what, what puts him on... My list too, because my list is Targington, Page, Kraus, Eller. Um, and what puts Kraus on my list is the picks. But I can't argue with Dex. It's like that is the one where if you were going to drop a guy off, it's Kraus. Mm-hmm. For as good as he is and as impressive as that stat is, and you're exactly right, that mark of career interceptions will not be broken. But that's the one where I was like, if I'm going to drop a guy off, it's, it's him, which speaks yeah. to the incredible amount of talent that this team had then, too. I mean, it was – they ran through here some just unbelievable Hall of Fame-type players. To your point, again, some of whom are in, some aren't. Do, do we think that Marshall – and I hope so – do we think that he finally gets in this time? I really hope so. He's been close before. What's your argument to keeping him out? And uh, the one guy I look at is Jerry Kramer, famous Packers guard. There were so many players from those 1960s Vince Lombardi era Packer teams that were in the Hall of Fame that they did. It, it was almost like we don't want to put one more guy in because there's already too many. If they're that good, put them in. This right. <laughs> the way some of these Hall of Fame committees and voters end up viewing these halls Hall of Fame is quite quite frankly bogus. And baseball is the worst of them. Like, oh, yeah. like baseball Agreed. people are the most like I I don't even know the right words. They're snobs. Oh yeah, that's good. Snobs. If you don't meet X, Y, and Z, it's an absolute no. Like the steroid era. Don't even get me started. That's Bud Selig's fault. Bud Selig allowed the steroid era to happen, and you're punishing only the players who got caught. Everybody was doing it. Some players just didn't get caught. Pitchers reducing, hitters reducing. I, like you just need to eliminate it. And I say all that because not putting Marshall in the Hall of Fame because two of his other defensive line mates were in there. Marshall was at points was better than both of those guys. He set records. No lineman's going to touch 270 straight starts. Like the only guy who came close to Joe Thomas, he only made it 11, 12 years before he had to retire. Like yeah. th- these things matter. Jerry Kramer had to wait like an extra 40 years. That's an abomination. Making Jim Marshall wait 40 years is also an abomination for pretty much the same reasons. Dominant when they were playing the game of football, but you're not putting them in because of their teammates. That's a bunch of crap. And they need to fix it. I happened to be at Lambeau for when they gave Jerry his like his Hall of Fame ring and they did the whole thing. That was the tie in 2018. It was really cool to hear him talk and hear how other people like spoke so highly of him but you you got to remedy this and you got to remedy this right now 
The thing about this, too, though, that makes no sense is, one, Marshall is no longer at the mercy of of the panel of writers, broadcasters. So he is in, he is now being considered by a veterans committee, which should just walk him in. It's like Oliva finally got in, right? Because mm-hmm. he was voted in by contemporaries who had seen him play. Like there is a, there is definitely, and it's probably a good word. There is a gatekeeper slash to use your term snob mentality when it comes to media voting on halls of fame. But when it's your, when it's a veterans committee, like those are the people who should get you in. In Jim's case, the other thing, too, to go back to what you said, if Jim Marshall, I think it was 1964, if his wrong way run in Kezar Stadium is still impacting anybody, then you shouldn't have anything to do with this entire process. I mean, it was one screw up. And look, it's been an NFL folly screw up for, you know, for 50 plus years, 60 years. Phenomenal B-roll. Yes, it's fantastic. But the reality is, if anybody's like, well, that's you, it was just a joke because of that, you know, first of all, bleep off. Second of all, this guy, and, and, and you know, for all that's good, put the man in while he's still alive. Yeah. You know, put him into the Hall of Fame. There's nothing sadder than when your family has to go up, you know, because you passed away. And, and in his case, you know, should have been in years ago. And now we're tempting fate. So I'm totally with you. And... Jim Marshall, it's weird because he was such a great player, and he's definitely the third, you know, Page, Eller, Marshall, Larson. But it's almost like Marshall falls way too close to Larson as far as the perception there when he was just a dominant, great player. All right, um, Tyler, let's start with you again. We are now going to do the Vikings Mount Rushmore. So from post-Bud Grant, 1986, when Bernsey got the job, two presents, probably a little bit more tinged with offensive players. Yeah. uh, There's only one defender on this list. And this was a really difficult one because there's, I tried to look at big picture. How how did you change the team? How did you impact things? And this was really tough to kind of piece together because there's been so many guys. And what really surprised me is none of these guys have played a snap for the Vikings after the 2011 season. Um, nobody, nobody truly current, um, yep. start uh, the number one guy in this list who arguably is, in my opinion, the most iconic Viking of all time is John Randall. And he was, it felt like he was one of us, you know, just, just a grinder came from, came from nothing, went to a small school, had to battle his way up, had size issues. And he just, one and one and one in training camp. And then he ended up becoming a hall of fame player. The, the face paint just, it, it looks like he was ready to go to war with Braveheart and he got fined multiple times for it, but it didn't matter. He was one of the more intimidating people ever. But then when you'd see him off the field, he was just smiling, like just had a million dollar smile like that. That just kind of epitomizes what Minnesotans are. We're very nice, but if we get in battle, we're going to go to war with you. And I think that's why as like a, a kid in my formative years, I really, I related to him a lot in just how we went about our business and pair that with just him being a phenomenal football player. And the, the only guy that I could really compare to somebody like Aaron Donald, John Randall was the first, the undersized defensive tackle who could just dominate you inside and out with a little bit of everything. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, second guy is Chris Carter. Um, he obviously had his issues in Philly. Buddy Ryan was infamous, uh, said, I, I love you, but I can't help you anymore. Comes to Minnesota, cleans up his act. And in an era where you did not put up big receiving stats, back-to-back years in 94 and 95 of 122 catches, beating Herman Moore's record of 118 in 1993. He was arguably the best receiver of all time. Even when Jerry Rice was playing, you could make that argument for him because of how technical he was. He never dropped a ball. Even in practice, people would talk about he never dropped anything. And he would catch balls one-handed. He was the inventor, basically, of the toe-drag swag that now is used by Nate Burleson. He was so incredible, so technically proficient, and he did it for so long that he was the offense for such a long time. And you had Robert Smith, but until like the latter end of his career, Robert Smith was dealing with a lot of injuries. So you didn't see him on the field consistently. He had a torn ACL, what is 1993 or 1994? And then Mm -hmm. he he retired early because of injuries and just wanting to maintain his long-term health. Plus, I think he went to medical school. So... Carter's number two for me. Three is Randy Moss. Moss not only changed things in Minnesota because Red McCombs, he just bought the team. They had spent like four, two of the previous four years talking about the team, maybe moving to Birmingham, Alabama. There, there were blackouts in 97. I remember the game against Carolina Panthers. Brad Johnson caught his own touchdown pass. That was a blacked out game. I remember going to see my dad's friends at the Hamill fire department that day because we couldn't watch it. You, nobody could watch it. And once Moss got into town, there was not a blackout for the the entirety of the Minnesota Vikings franchise. He revolutionized the fan base. He made so many of us Vikings fans because of how he played, how explosive he was, and how special 1998 was in so many different ways. The three deep, the posters, like the t-shirts, the jerseys. It felt different in 98 than it's ever felt before. The closest I could think of was maybe 09 or 17. 98 just felt different. It was because of Randy Moss. I don't know if I've ever told this story to you, Judd. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with watching football. I watched a lot of Marshall football, believe it or not. And whenever it was on ESPN, dad asked me that morning, who do you want the Vikings draft? And I said, Randy Moss. Buddy came over and said, we got Randy Moss. And I, I was basically like a kidney candy store. Yeah. He was the guy I wanted. He was the guy we got. He changed Vikings football forever. And mm-hmm. he, he, in my opinion, is the reason why the NFL has turned into a pass-happy league because he changed the game forever with how he was able to beat defenses. Mm-hmm. The last Absolutely. one is going to be controversial, and quite frankly, I don't care. I'm giving it to Steve Hutchinson, not Adrian Peterson, not somebody like Brett Favre, not Jared Allen, Steve Hutchinson. When he got here, Brad Childress was trying to build this team and he was trying to build this team in the trenches. Hutchinson changed so much for this team with his mentality, with his attitude, with his uh, excellent play on the field. He was the catalyst of, in my opinion, of why 2009 happened. You can credit a, try and credit a lot of different people. You can try and credit Peterson, you can try and credit Jared Allen. You can try and credit Brett Favre, Percy Harvin. You, you name it, you can try. Steve Hutchinson was the epitome of why they were able to make that run because of how he played football, how he approached the game, and his elite skill set for playing the guard position. Guards don't matter, but when you have an elite one 
like Steve Hutchinson, Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson, it can be a true game changer for your offense. And he was. Then that's my list. Interesting. Dex? Yeah, I had Hutch just off of it. Um, Honorable mentions I wrote down uh, before I even get to my four, because I think that is worth discussing. I have Hutch as one. I have Matt Burke as one. uh, I have Harrison Smith as one. And then I also, as as, I know this is a little cheap, but I have the Williams wall. I'm going to combine them as one uh, just because of how much of an impact they made. And I know it's two different players, but man, um, the Williams wall was incredible. They set an NFL record. They basically made every team not be able to run on them. I know in return, the Vikings pass defense wasn't great on the other side of that, but the Williams wall kind of changed and made the defensive line um, a, a big thing in the NFL. Those two together were monsters. So I had those four just off, but I wouldn't be upset if anyone put them on either. So mine, um, John Randall, too. I think John Randall is the epitome of 90s Vikings football. I mean, the guy was had the war paint on, to Tyler's point, uh, could rush the passer at an elite level. Yeah, came from nothing and rose up. Um, great story. I have Randy Moss as two, just for everything that Tyler laid out, too. I mean, he changed the entire game of what we how we view the wide receiver position. Probably still up there as one of my favorite players of all time, too. Uh, I put Chris Carter as the other one, probably again because of longevity and just because of what he was able to do uh, with his Vikings career. And a lot of people also know the Vikings because of Chris Carter. I know Moss uh, had a bigger impact on creating a fan base there, but Carter was able to come here basically with Denny Green and became just a possession monster, not a burner, but just a monster and a great receiver. Uh, And fourth, I I have to put Adrian Peterson on here. Um, Even... There are some off-character issues even with Matt Burke you could make a case for, right? Like, there are off-the-field issues to me, but when you win the MVP and when you were as good as he was at his peak, um, I I think he has to be on here. So for me, it's Adrian Peterson as the final guy. So John Randall, Randy Moss, Adrian Peterson, Chris Carter are my four. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Okay. Um, so I'll start by saying this, and it's a tremendous indictment of this franchise. None of us are going to have a quarterback on our list. I, I thought about Dante. You, I'll be I honest. Do it. I couldn't no, do but it. I, yeah. No, but that, but that's my point. Like Tarkington was a slam dunk. Like I never thought, what about Fran Tarkington? I'm like Tarkington won, right? Mm-hmm. We are talking about a period 1986. We are talking about a very, very long period of time. Where, where, you know, Tyler, you might have, might have thought of Dante, but that's just a thought. There should, if there is not, in my opinion, an unequivocal quarterback, this quarterback has to be on my list. You got problems. Like that's how you don't win a Super Bowl, in my opinion. Um, and this team, you know, since since that time, they have cycled through a number of QBs. Some have, have been good. I think Culpepper was the one that looked like he was tracking to be a franchise guy, and unfortunately. Uh, because of things in and out of his control that didn't take place. But here's my list, okay? My top one, so my Tarkington in this case, I guess, is Moss. Um, Change the franchise. Change the Mm -hmm. franchise. Change the fan base. There is no arguing that 98 ushered in an era of fans that are now not young, but then, then they were. And people forget, 
to Tyler's point. In 97, when games were occasionally, home games were blacked out, including the second-to-last game of the season, and it was the last home game of that year against the Colts, blacked out, the Vikings weren't cool. Like, the Vikings weren't this, oh, we got to go party at the Vikings game. The Vikings were sort of stale, and I felt like at that time that they were sort of teetering on the Met Stadium fans who were really old by that point, and they hadn't really cultivated a new fan base yet. And the selection of Moss and the fortunate break he dropped to him changed all of that. And in retrospect now, Tyler, you're right. Like, I think the league looked at Moss. Moss did for the National Football League in the fall and winter of 98 what steroids did for baseball. Mm-hmm. I think the league looked at this and like, oh, my God, look at this offensive expo- – this is great football. How can we get more of this? And they tightened up the rules and defenders. So Moss is Mike Tarkington here. He's one. Um, my second, John Randall. So you ran through a bunch of the same reasons why I, I would pick him. But, I mean, here's an undrafted guy, undersized. You know, any team outside of the Vikings, I think, moves him to defensive end and never asks a, a question. And he probably would have been very, very good there. But, I mean, the Vikings had the gall to say, you know what, dude, no. We'll line you up inside. And and he probably altered the games ultimately in a lot of the way ways that Page did, too. Because they're these undersized, not really huge guys causing havoc. Causing havoc. At a lo- and both of those were at a time when a lot of teams still thought, we need big guys who can, you know, fill up space at defensive tackle. John Randall changed that perception so moss and randall also not only were just great vikings but they really had an impact i think on how the league thought about positions and the enjoyment factor three chris carter look i i know a a lot of people including myself don't necessarily like him uh that much but yeah he did his when he got here the professionalism that he showed on a weekly basis was off the charts. And yeah, toe tapping was not really common until him. Like some guys did it, but not like that. And again, we're talking about a guy that I think changed the perception of the position. And he did, did things too. And I guess it's hindsight now to say it was a game changer. But I mean, CC ran the, that camp, that summer camp in Florida where they would run hills and stuff. I mean, he turned, he was one of the guys who was turning the sport into a year round conditioning. Here's how we get better. So he's my third. And my fourth might surprise you guys a bit, but I think he's one of the great Vikings of all time. And we don't talk about him enough. Three time first team all pro went into the hall in 2018, Randall McDaniel. Yeah. As good as Hutchinson was, I think Randall McDaniel's the best guard to ever play for this team. And again, he had that goofy stance, um, but he never got beat. And he was an athletic freak. I mean, for a man that size, complete freak. What he could do. Did he run like a 10, 6, 100 meters or something? Yes, it was nuts. It was nuts. He never got beat. He physically, like from his stance, if you go back and watch tape, you guys, it makes no sense that he could block guys. Like he's literally dragging his leg. And then he cut and just a complete, complete um, once in a generation athletic type. So my guys are Moss one, Randall two, Carter three, McDaniel four. And leaving Adrian off was tough. 
Yeah. Like I, I struggled mm-hmm. with that. He, he was on my first one, uh, but I couldn't go. I, I didn't feel like it was fair or proper to go four offense deep. Um, Peterson, I guess, is my closest guy off that, that list. But I think there's a lot. I think there is serious debate with all of our lists for, again, probably at least that last spot. Yeah, I, I got to say this. The Randall McDaniel stands for those who have never seen it. He's basically doing the stanky leg. Like that, that's how far down that knee was. It was basically touching the ground. I will say this. I, my, one of my honorable mentions that I, I didn't talk about, and I'm going to be honest, Jed, I'm shocked you didn't. Chris Dolman. Another good one. He was phenomenal. Yep. And it, for people my age, most of what I remember of Chris Dolman was when he played for the San Francisco 49ers. Yep. And even in his later days, he was fantastic. Oh, yeah. But he was able to just destroy the passer and he was able to win from so many different alignments that uh, had, I think like 156 career sacks, just an absolute behemoth. And the other one I really thought about, because I'm kind of looking at this, not just from a talent perspective, but impacting like the team and sure. impacting the game. I really considered Everson Griffin in, in kind of a similar oh. way to uh, how, why I, John Randall. I don't think Everson Griffin was as good as John Randall. No. And his first four years, he was really slow played because he was just this athletic freak who had some issues at USC. Right. And they gave him that five year, $40 million contract when he had free agency because they want to keep him around. And that was when they had just gotten rid of Jared Allen. And he was the heart and soul of that Vikings defense and how he conducted himself. Um, obviously he had uh, some of the, uh, the mental health issues, which Thankfully, it sounds like he's doing he's in a great place, which is awesome because those that stuff's really scary. But his heart, his passion, his play on the field, like he he just epitomized what being a Viking was. And he was at one point, I believe, a first team all pro, and I think it was 2017. He was tremendous. And that the spirit of Griffin, I think or earn him at least consideration for this list. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think of of, of him. Dolman, I definitely did. Last question, Dex, we'll start with you. At what point in time do you seriously consider Justin Jefferson for this list? <laughs> Pretty soon. I mean, he could have a monster season moving to the top five of receiving, which is absurd given how many great wide receivers this franchise has had. Um, I would probably say one more year of 1,800 yards, and he's probably right on it. Like that's it's absurd, but that's that's how much he has made an impact in such a short little time, um, and he's already leapfrogged some great receivers that we haven't touched on, uh, and he's on the brink of being the best of all time already, which is nuts. Forno, I need I need more. Um, that's my question. But how much more? Another year? Another two years? Like he is he is stupidly good. And it, it the way I'm building this list is not just about being stupidly good. I need three to five more years. Uh, like Randy Moss was on this team for a relatively short time, but he changed the game. He made like an entire generation fans when Viking being a Vikings fan wasn't super commonplace in this town because there was so much, so much going on with the franchise potentially leaving. And it wasn't cool. No, they were stale. He made the Vikings cool. He trans like he was the epitome of, Everybody minding Dex's age becoming a Vikings fan. Yep. He he's the reason. And Jefferson's a phenomenal talent. 
but he hasn't done anything in my opinion to change or really impact the game in a way that the other four that I've mentioned did. He basically just replaced Diggs. And when you talk about a one-to-one replacement, I don't see that as necessarily being like this next level. I'm help like taking this team to a different space. I just think he's tremendous. And for right now, that's not enough to get him on the Mount Rushmore. The four guys that I, I put on there were on a different level, not talent wise, but impact. And I just don't think his impact has been there yet. You could argue he's the best player in Vikings history right now. And it's not absurd. But as far as that impact level, I haven't quite seen it yet in, in contrast to who's on there. And that's why if he's going to change that impact level, like if it's not going to ever get there, he's going to have to put up even more seasons of greatness to warrant because it's going to have to counterbalance that. Great stuff, boys. Uh, Dex, tell the folks what they need to know before we go. Yeah, hit the subscribe button for Daily Minnesota Vikings Entertainment right here on Purple Daily, Apple, Spotify, the Score North app. We just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die.